Hey, I'm Johanna Wagstaff. And hi there, I'm Rohit Joseph. And we're asking for 10 minutes of your day to go through the 10 things that the UN recommends we can all do when it comes to climate change. Please don't leave. No. And also the things (laughs) aren't new. We are just wired to not do them. We promise you to help you figure out your brains and you and your people can make better choices to combat climate change. 10 Minutes to Save the Planet is available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Nerves of Steel. Alicia Keys has got nerves of steel. She was 17 years old when she got the chance to call Prince and ask if she could cover one of his songs. Then a couple years later, she sits down at a piano in front of Oprah. Her hands are shaking, but she crushes it anyway. Today, you'll hear Alicia Keys share some stories from her memoir about rising to every occasion and how she managed to get so successful without compromising an inch of integrity. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q. All right, I want to take you back about two decades. At the time in music, big pop stars and super producers were everywhere. And here comes this classically trained pianist with her very first album called Songs in A Minor. She wrote and arranged most of it herself, and she could not help but stand out. just about as big as it gets for a breakout hit, right? That's Fallen by Alicia Keys, who went on to win 15 Grammy Awards and sell more than 65 million records. That's a lot of records. Uh, Alicia Keys is currently on another major concert tour. It's called The Keys to the Summer. It recently swung by Toronto and it wraps up in a week in Los Angeles. Tom Power got the chance to speak to Alicia Keys back in 2020. She had just put out a memoir called More Myself, A Journey, and she was reflecting on who she actually is without the perks of fame, without the incredible record sales. Here's their conversation. It's so nice to talk to you. I'm dying to talk about your book, and I'm dying to talk about sort of the lessons you learn about yourself in this journey. And as you're clear about it, it's a journey, not a memoir. So I want to talk about one of these lessons. You're 19. You're just about to blow up. You're booked for a photo shoot for a magazine cover. The photographer convinces your team that he needs to be alone in the room with you. I wonder if you could tell us what happened next. Yeah, it was uh, it was kind of strange. You know, it was my very, very first photo shoot ever. It was a big one. Everybody was very excited of it. Um, you know, when you're trying to get yourself and your music heard and yourself out there, you know, it's rare that you get quite big opportunities. And this one was, was awesome. So everybody was really excited. We get in there and we kind of figure everything out. It's my first one. I've never done a big shoot like this before. So I don't really know what to do or what's expected. You can imagine just how uh, brand new everything was. And so at some point, he kind of asked the team to leave. And, you know, I guess they figured that since he was a pretty big photographer, that he just wanted some privacy and just wanted to focus and all those things. And and when everybody leaves, he definitely, um, you know, he never put his hands on me in any way or in any way violated me physically. But I think that he definitely had an idea of what he wanted to get as the picture. And he wanted it to be risque and he wanted it to be something that I probably wouldn't have normally been comfortable with and for sure. 
everybody who was with me in that room definitely wouldn't have been comfortable. So it's like, can you just kind of lift this a little bit? Can you pull this down a little bit? Can you open this a little bit? Can you, and I'm, and I'm, I'm there, you know, 19 and I'm, I'm like, um, this doesn't feel right. You talk yourself in and out of everything. And, um, you know, finally, when it was all said and done, the photos that came out, I mean, I just was so devastated. I just despised them. I did not like the way I looked. It looked like in a way that I just didn't ever want to represent myself. And I felt like I'd been taken advantage of, you know, and, and kind of manipulated in a way. But I think that that happened to me quite early um, in everything because I needed to know very early that you have to trust your instincts, you know, in life. And I think it changed my trajectory in a lot of ways because I knew that I just never wanted to be in that position. It's nice to revisit some of these like really bright moments from your career reading the book. And, you know, that song Fallen, which I'm sure everybody sang along with as I played it, it was interesting to know. And I didn't know this, that that song didn't do as well uh, when it first came out. It didn't get the airplay that you were hoping for. Radio DJs really didn't know what to do with your music. And then, well, this happened. This is a clip from your first appearance on the Oprah Winfrey Show exactly 19 years ago in June of 2001. Take a listen. Her first CD you wrote and produced and sat there with the people on the keyboards the whole Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's important for me to properly express how I feel at the moment and not have it filtered through other people. It just feels natural for me to to just say how I feel at the moment. So. And be in charge of your own life. Definitely. Oh, you're a woman after my heart. <laughs> <laughs> okay, she's it. Thank Alicia Keys. Thanks, Clive. <laughs> Thanks, Clive. Thanks, Clive. Thanks, Clive. That's you talking with Oprah Winfrey. What do you think listening back to that? Oh, my gosh. I remember it like clear as day. It was like uh, just the most, unbelievable moment ever you know we all believed in Fallen so much and we knew that it was such a special song and anybody who heard it really loved it you know it was it was the first time that I was being introduced to the world of marketing and and radio and all these kind of nuances that happen that make things sometimes not as straightforward as you would hope they would be so, you know, and it was true, right? It does have an older, soulful sound to it. And at the time, I've, I've, obviously, I was 18, 19, and, and I had these cornrows, and I was from Harlem. And, and, and at the same time, they heard the song and thought maybe I was like a 40-year-old soul singer. So they just did not know what to do with it, where to put it. And throughout my career, a lot of my songs have never kind of fit the mold. They've always just lived on their own, which... I'm proud of, and I think it's part of what makes me stand out, but it doesn't make it easy to market <laughs> and definitely doesn't make it easy to put it on a spot in the radio. So um, so we definitely had to get creative. So uh, this was one of those moments where Clive and the team really got creative, and I remember walking into that set to see Miss Oprah Winfrey for my first time ever, and obviously prior to that I'd only seen her on television. And it was the craziest, most surreal moment of my life. I was terrified. I was completely nervous. My hands were shaking the whole time I was playing.
is the big shot, you know? And so it was definitely for her to embrace me in that way. And she's been a mentor to me ever since that day. Um, it was a, it was a big, big, big beginning. I'll never, ever forget it. Yeah. I should mention that Clive is, is Clive Davis, you know, legendary record producer and, and executive. And, um, it, it does feel like that was a bit of a turning point. I mean, you, you talk about how you, you sort of got recognized right afterwards. Like when did you realize that you were going to be sort of become a household name out of that performance? Oh, I, I, I definitely didn't, I didn't have an, I, I didn't have a clue about that. I didn't ever imagine that that would happen, but it, it really did. It was so strange flying home after that performance. It was, you know, anybody, anybody from a, uh, you know, a 14 year old kid to a 30 year old young woman to a 70 year old older man. Everybody was like, I saw you on the Oprah show and I could not believe how, you know, if, especially then the Oprah show was massive and the amount of people that really watched it were so diverse. I couldn't believe it. It was crazy. And it was literally like in that moment you could recognize, I, 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 I realized that I couldn't just kind of do my normal thing. Um, it was just a new world. It was a new world. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon and Time, is back for another round. This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, Here, There and Everywhere. Listen to Season 2 of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's so many great stories you tell in this book. This one has to do with this song, which I will say is my favorite Alicia Keys performance. Take a listen. That's your cover of Prince's How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore. I want to point out that the U in that song, by the way, is the letter U. That cover was the product of a phone call you made to Prince when you were 17. I was hoping you could tell us a bit about that conversation. <laughs> yeah, so I fell in love with this song, How Come You Don't Call Me, because like so many people, I'm a massive Prince fan. But I, um, I, I, I found this song, How Come You Don't Call Me, and I was riveted by it because it was just him on piano, stomping his foot. creating the album the first album I I wanted to put it on there and obviously being brand new I also didn't know that you have to call the songwriter and you have to get clearance to use another person's song so here I am 17 years old and um, 
trying to figure out how to call Prince. I mean, how do you call Prince? Who <laughs> calls Prince? Like nobody calls Prince. And so somehow we, you know, organize the team with the other team and the team and we set up a moment to, to be able to have a, a phone call with him. And I'm, I call this number and I'm terrified. I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, what do you say? what do you say to somebody? And I know they put me on the phone because it would have been harder for him to say no to me. I know that's why they put me on the phone. So, so I was, my heart is beating out of my chest and the phone is ringing and somebody picks up the phone and it's not him. And they're like, I'm like, hello, can I speak to Prince? And, and so they're like, oh, hold on. And so then another person gets on the phone and I ask the same question and they're like, hold on and then another person gets on the phone finally the person transfers the last time and you can tell it's him he picks up hello I am like trying to be cool and I say hello and I tell him how much I appreciate his artistry and how amazing he is and and how much I love this song how come you don't call me and by the way if anybody knows Prince they know he does not clear songs like that's not what he does he doesn't want a gang of people singing his songs and he will not clear them He's, it's notorious for it most people just get a no so I was expecting a no, and I tell him, and he's like, you're writing your own music, right? And I'm like, yep, I'm producing it. And he's like, I'm seeing what you're doing. I'm loving what you're doing. And he says to me, you know, why don't you come play it for me at Paisley Park? And I'm like, me? So he invites me to Paisley Park, which is his, you know, his very special place where he invites kind of all his most precious fans. And he has it's this amazing location where he has his studios and live performance space, something like I've never seen before at that time. And I come and I perform for him. And eventually he uh, did, obviously, grant me the right to use How Come You Don't Call Me. You get the feeling already that you were clear about who you wanted to be. I think there's a lot of artists who you know and, and, and I know who ha- haven't been able to stand their ground the way you have, who haven't been able to kind of be in charge of their own image and, and really kind of project realness uh, above all. Did you, in, in writing this book, get to reflect on maybe why you're that way or where that might come from? You know, it's, it's difficult. Um, it is. I mean, if you think about it, the whole music industry and entertainment industry can oftentimes be based on things that are quite superficial and almost not even real. And a lot of times you find yourself emulating a persona or emulating an expectation that people have of you as opposed to actually um, being who you are. I mean, you know, so many times you you go to a photo shoot and you're wearing thousands of dollars worth of dresses and jewelry and shoes and clothes. You can't afford those things. There's no way on planet Earth you're going to have those things. But in your... but in the images you're projecting, you're wearing all these things and you're looking all these ways. And I think that, you know, a lot of times that does become quite difficult to manage. It's oftentimes like just not really real. And so it's so easy to lose yourself. And, you know, prior to success or prior to people liking your work, you are just doing what you love. You're just doing what you think and what you feel. You're experimenting, you're trying. And once people kind of start to like what you've done, um, you feel obligated for them to like it again. And and then you start to think, well, how can I make them like this as opposed to what you like? And I think all of this all together becomes quite confusing and definitely easy for you to lose yourself in. And that's a lot of what I talk about in the book, which I think happens to all of us, no matter if we're artists or 
bankers or, you know, assistants or whatever we might be, you know, oftentimes I think we find ourselves really trying to accommodate other people's opinion of us and making sure that we're, you know, in some way likable. And a lot of times I think that takes away our knowledge of ourselves because we're just so busy wanting to please. So that's a lot of what I definitely have gone through and found my way through. And and in regards to talking about my book more myself, it really is how do you find your authentic self and what is that? Who is that? Mm. So, um, yeah, so I think that's why it kind of happens. And, and for different people, it happens in different ways. I, I Before we go, I, I didn't want to leave without talking a little bit about this music. Take a listen to this. Simple walk to the corner store Mama never thought she would be getting a call from the coroner Said her son's been gunned down, been gunned down Can you come now? That's a bit of your song, Perfect Way to Die. And you've said it's written from the point of view of a mother whose child has been murdered because of the system of racism that looks at black life as unworthy. And, you know, and Alicia, we're looking at protests against anti-black racism and, and police brutality, and they're continuing around the world right now in the wake of the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, and other unarmed black people. I guess, you know, what do you want your music to add in this moment? Yeah, I mean, it's been really quite something, just the way that things have gone. I mean, even with us all experiencing COVID and 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 recognizing how we're all so intricately connected and how we were how we're all experiencing such a similar thing at the same time. Um, you know, my, my song Underdog really ended up being a, a soundtrack to that in such a powerful way that I, of course, you hope your song resonates, but you don't realize how it's going to do it or why it's going to do it or when it's going to do it. You never quite know these details. And so Underdog really did that during that time. And and so as time kept progressing, and I think, you know, all of us being more still and all of us having the opportunity to really look more clearly at what's happening in front of us in the world, as opposed to running so quickly and being so distracted, and also with, you know, being able to see the inequities on so many levels so clearly and so painfully, there's just no turning away from it and no hiding from it. And so I think there is a, a surge of collective consciousness and so this song, Perfect Way to Die, I actually wrote it with an incredible writer named Sebastian Cole. And we wrote it based off of Michael Brown, um, Trayvon Martin, Sandra Bland, a lot of a lot of of the same situation that has been happening over and over again and it's and it's horrible with the police brutality and violence and systemic racism. It's crazy. So I never thought that this song would come out at this time, although I knew it would come out at some time, and I knew it was such a powerful song. But with seeing everything as it's been progressing now, it just felt so right to um, share this song and for this to be a vehicle and a just, just for our emotions, you know, for what we're feeling and what we're seeing and to put words to the pain that we're feeling and to the, to the discomfort and also the confusion and frustration and also hopefully, you know, continue for all of us to pay attention to what's happening and to make sure that we keep speaking up until George and Ahmad and Brianna and Tony and Trayvon and Sandra and Mike Brown and everybody who has, you know, died at the hands of police brutality and racism, you know, gets their justice. Does, does it feel different now, Alicia? 
I think, it, I mean, it's a lot of the same in a lot of ways, which is hard, but I do, do feel that it is different than it's ever been before. I think people are more open than they've ever been before. I think we are less afraid to even face the truth, those hard truths that we are all having to face, every single last one of us, and and even be accountable for our behavior, our friends' behavior, our family's behavior, the the way we're speaking to our children, the the thoughts we're having, the things we're saying, the the you know really being much much more conscious and, and awakened by everything. And and although it's not a new scenario, I do think because we haven't been able to turn away, turn away, or be so busy that we just get distracted or think that oh that's just them over there, you know, which is a horrible thing I think we do as humanity sometimes. Um, it's just really brought us together, and I think it's propelling us to move forward together and to and to grow. And in that way, I really am feeling encouraged. Alicia Key, so nice to talk to you, and thank you for your time, and congratulations on your book. Thank you. Good to talk to you, too. You take care. Alicia Keys with her song, No One. Before that, you heard Tom Power's conversation with Alicia Keys. I love when the way someone speaks reflects the art that they make, right? She makes such classy choices in her music, and she's so classy in conversation. They spoke back in 2020 when Alicia released her memoir called More Myself, A Journey. That's it for this episode of Q, the podcast. But you can find another episode in your feed today. It's Tom Power's conversation with Catherine Hernandez and my conversation with G.R. Grit. And they've got something really cool in common. Catherine's latest book is called The Story of Us. She wrote it as kind of an attempt to fill in some of the gaps we have when it comes to stories about queer elders. She wrote this really beautiful story about a person who comes from the Philippines to be a caregiver and finds out the older woman that she's caring for is trans and sort of a meditation on on chosen family. And then GR Grit introduces you to a brand new song, a summer anthem that's all about celebrating queer love. And they talk about how this is the kind of song they wanted would have wanted to see when they were growing up and how much representation and showing up really, really matters. So you can find that doubleheader in your feed right now. I'm Talia Schlanger sitting in for Tom Power. I'll see you next time.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.